Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Contractor Revolution. Every January at our annual Winter Summit, Breakthrough Academy hosts Awards Night, and it's one of our favorite nights of the year. To our amazing group of 500-plus entrepreneurs, we give out five awards, like Entrepreneur of the Year, Community Builder of the Year, Leader of the Year, and Implementer of the Year. But the award that always gets the tears rolling, always gets the standing ovation, is the Turnaround of the Year Award. The turnaround of the year is given to the entrepreneur who has achieved extraordinary growth despite facing great adversity. And that's really just a fancy way of saying it goes to the man or woman who's been through some seriously heavy stuff and come out the other side. This year's winner was Stephen Osborne of the Osborne Company, and 2021 was not kind to Stephen. His father, David, the founder of the company, passed away very suddenly and unexpectedly. Infighting amongst his siblings ensued, everyone wanting their cut. Then a group of non-construction consultants hired by family members, totally unbeknownst to Stephen, forced him to step down as president. As grief and trauma ripped through the family, the business suffered too. The Osborne Company wasn't exactly a cash cow before the loss, but now they dropped down to a meager 1.7% net. They were in dire straits. Now, I don't want to give it all away, so we'll just fast forward two years, okay? And the Osborne Company is on trend to do $15 million in revenue with a super healthy 15% net. Their team is the happiest and most functional they've ever been, and they've actually become one of the largest EV charging station installers in the USA. The conversation that follows is about how Stephen got through the darkest time in his life, steered his father's company and legacy away from financial ruin, and win the Turnaround of the Year Award. To learn more about the Breakthrough Academy community Stephen references throughout this conversation, click the link in the description. But without further ado, let's dive in with Stephen Osborne. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Steven, it's really good to see you, man, and, and thank you for making time for us. That's great to be here, Benji. So take us through um, take us through the year that was 2021. Well, uh, yeah, that, uh, and I have to tell you, Benji, starting out, it's kind of emotional having gone through this and thinking about this segment here because 2021 was uh, by far the most difficult year in my life. Um, the year started out really great. I'd been in the company for about five and a half years. Uh, I'd recently been named as the president of the company uh, alongside my father, the founder and CEO. Uh, and, and he had run the company by himself since 1976. So he was thrilled to have me there working with him. And it was always a dream to have one of his kids there. Um, so he stepped aside in January 2021. And I was just I was the king of the hill. I was like, this is great. We have a ton of work. Uh, we weren't really making a lot of money, but we were having fun. And um he, he stepped aside. He was still available. I talked to him seven days a week. Mm -hmm. uh, but in uh, June of 2021, uh, he got 
really sick, went into the hospital about a week later. And uh, that was the last time I saw him. It was about June 19th of 2021. So just mm. barely over two years from now. And he passed away July 15th of 2021. Mm. So I was very quickly thrown in a position where I had no safety net of the the counselor and guidance uh, individual who had been there. Uh, he would allow me to fail. He'd allow me to succeed. Um, but I didn't have that safety net of anymore of the, the guy to call and the one to talk to. So um, very, very traumatic. Um, I really didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, it, it was just, it, it was the worst case scenario. And he and I even would play the scenario out, like what would happen if uh, he passed away or what happened if my mother passed away and how we would handle the business and he and I transition. But even though we had talked about it, we never really actually thought it would happen uh, while I was younger. And and so um, here we are two years later and um, the, the company has dramatically changed. It's not even the same co company remotely of what it was two years ago because of what we had to go through yeah. since then. So you, you get made president um, by your father. This is all above board. It's being discussed. Mm -hmm. Um Six months later, very tragically, he passes quite suddenly. And you're sort of, like you say, king of the hill at the beginning of the year. And then at the, about the midway point, you're feeling pretty lost without a paddle. When, when you say yeah. worst case scenario, besides just the, the sheer loss and grief of losing a parent, were there other things about the business situation, the family situation, whatever, that made it truly... Uh, worst case scenario, were there other elements at play that made it like an especially yeah. bad time? Yeah. And it, well, leading up to this, if I can back up for a few months, I, I was named president of the company and I believe 2019. So about a year before he passed away. And one of his stipulations for any of his children joining the company was you got to work somewhere else for a few years. You got to prove yourself as an honorable worker, hard worker. And when you come into the company, you need to be 100% in. And so I had been a police officer for a few years. I had been in the military, uh, both on part and full-time status for about 15 years. And I left both of those careers. So me personally, I had no safety net. It was, it was all in, 100%. And I left uh, those retirements behind and that, uh, that, that career path. Coming into the construction industry, I'm not a contractor by trade. I did not go to construction school. Uh, or uh, contracting education, I went through business school and I have a master's in business administration. So I learned the business side of things and started out in the finance department and working my way up uh, through the company um, on the finance side. So when I lose my lead estimator, the guy who knows everybody, who's been in construction for 40 plus years, who has all the contacts and knows how to crank out an estimate in no time, all of a sudden I didn't have him anymore. Mm -hmm. He's gone. And so my my number one revenue generator had passed away and I, I just, frankly, I just didn't know what to do mm -hmm. um, I, for a brief moment there. It was, it was a very scary moment not having that safety net. How, how'd the rest of the family take take this news? What what sort of happened in the months that fall, months, years that followed? Yeah. So that's that's probably the, the toughest part, honestly, to, uh, even despite losing my father, he was a good man. And uh, it was just a joy working with him. Um, the saddest part about this is very quickly, I had family members and, and uh, 
even a few employees, but mostly some family members that wanted to come into the company and start uh, having an ownership stake in things, so to speak. So um, maybe this is a failure on my education, but I'm just a I'm just a lowly contractor out of Kansas, and I didn't know what a C-suite was. I didn't know what that was. I was just working. Like we we just show up to work and we work. And I have family members saying, well, I want to come in and work in the C-suite, but I only want to do it part-time while I'm still doing my other career paths. And and it just didn't work. I'm like, that's you can't do that in construction. We're, we're here. We're all in. We're a team or you're out. <laughs> like you're either in or you're out. You, we don't we don't work together part-time. And so that was a big challenge. And uh, to be honest with you, a lot of hard feel, uh, hurt feelings over it. Um, yeah. But, you know, this is, at least in 2021, this was an 80-hour-a-week job. This was this was all in, and we were just struggling. We were just pounding away and not really doing anything very smart. And so by le- losing my lead estimator, my, my father and my friend, uh, it, it was just like the whole world was about to just come crashing down and then to have other people want to reach in and just take an ownership stake, but not actually produce. It, it created a lot of conflict and all of the employees could feel it. So all of this was crashing in on me in the fall of 2021. There was another thing that you had mentioned. I think this is an an important point to hit in the in the sort of setup of this conversation and, and what you and the company went through, which was at some point along the way, you were removed or advised to remove yourself from that president's position. What what happened there? So you were sort of like the only guy who knows how anything is even running and somebody's advice is I think we should demote him. What just what was that chapter it's, of the story? It it it's honestly at this point it's laughable. So um, I've only been essentially fired from a job twice in my life and once by each of my parents. Uh, one was back in 2007 and it was as the economy was turning, the housing market, housing market was collapsing uh, 2008. I'm sorry. And I was the first one to get cut and I was pretty bitter about it back then, but I realized my father was willing to let me go the lowest performer before any of his other employees who were actually performing. And that's a hard thing for a father to do. So I actually respect him more because of it. Um, during the transition after my father had passed, um, we had a few individuals, one accountant uh, that um, was working with our company who just uh, didn't understand cash flow movement and contractor payments and uh, revenue streams. And so um, there were a lot of a lot of questions about how the organization was run. Um, and so my, my family had actually hired an outside consulting firm without me even knowing they had no construction experience whatsoever. And this consulting firm comes in and decides maybe Stephen needs to be removed from the company for a, a, an extended period. So um, when I thought I was walking into an attorney's office to sign a contract to purchase the company, and I was very excited. I had my wife with me there. Our attorney was there. We were all thumbs up. Uh, this uh, this attorney on the family side decided to let me know that I was being let go from the company. So, oh, my um, God. Dude. <laughs> so a comedy it, of errors at this point. Absolutely bonkers, bizarre. And I was just totally in shock. I went through all the stages of grief in that moment right there. And then I just realized, like, we just need to relax for a minute. Everything's fine. And unfortunately, everything at the office was falling apart for about 
48 hours. And that was a big wake up call for me as well, because here I'm removed from the company for 48 hours and voluntarily. But what, had ha- what would have happened if I was in a car accident in a coma for three days and everything was just falling apart in total chaos? So I found that to be a massive leadership failure on my part, mm. even though it was an un- involuntary departure for 48 hours. I realized we really need to fix some stuff here because I need to be able to step away for more than 48 hours and go enjoy life with my wife and kids. And um, so that was, that was a pretty big wake up call, very humbling. Um, How long did that demotion last? Turning point. Was that, was it like, was that sort of, you saying that was only 48 hours that you were sort of demoted from president to GM or was it a longer thing than that? No, I was, um, I was essentially demoted for uh, just over three months and uh, remained in a general manager position uh, until um, until the day that we were able to purchase the company. So it was that was the was resolution. Diff- what was you, yep. you purchasing it and re- reinstating mm-hmm. yourself? Now, okay. Yep. So, all right. Uh, unbelievable, diff- unbelievably difficult stuff on the personal side. On the business side, I understand. You know. Um, as all this is going on, going on, and perhaps related to it, connected to it to some degree, I'll let you fill in the blanks there. But I also know that the year twenty one was, re- you know, you guys, like you said at the outset, you guys it was fun. You guys were growing, weren't making a ton of money. I think we were chatting offline. You said your net was somewhere around five percent, but in all Not the even ca- that. Yeah, not even that. In all the chaos, yeah. it drops down to one or below one percent. So you're just kind of floating on by the skin of your teeth. What was going on on the to the business entity while all this personal stuff was happening as well? Main thing was we lacked any form of uh, recognizable systems or any form of accountability. We had employees just doing what they wanted. We we try to roll out a new uh, process like, hey, we're going to handle our invoicing this way. And it'd be great for about two weeks and everyone to forget. Or, hey, we're going to handle our inspections on our jobs this way. Two or three weeks and everyone would forget. We'd try to get our goal set and review meetings done and they'd go for about a month and then just wouldn't really take. Uh, it just didn't take. Um, so at that point where my father had passed away, um, he was still managing a few projects uh, just very loosely, even though he had stepped away, he was still managing a few and I didn't have anyone to step in and manage for him. Um, so or at least I, I didn't align with the correct people. So we started hemorrhaging cash pretty quick um, and people were just going where they wanted to go and doing what they wanted to do. And I didn't have any way of tracking all of our people at the same time. I didn't have any common operating picture. I didn't really know where we were at financially. It was just um, trying to find trying to find out where we were financially was just a challenge of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you mentioned too. There's like there were a whole bunch of business. Um, there there's sort of like eight at the time. There were sort of like eight different operating companies under underneath mm-hmm. the umbrella that was the Osborne company. It was was there some uh, like too many irons and too many fires type thing going on? Goodness, I don't even know how many there were. There were at least eight or nine different little operating companies, and some of them were. Uh, property holding companies. There were some property development companies, um, side construction companies that had just been sitting on the shelf for years and weren't really being used. And so we're managing all these organizations and it was just a lot of static. Nothing was aligned. Nothing was systemized. It's it just 
the, the concept every day in 2021 and into the middle of 2022 was just show up to work, hustle and go home tired. Mm-hmm. And if we shake out profitable, then everybody high five. And so the reality of the situation is 2021, we did about $10 million worth of work and we, we ended up having about a 1.7% net profit before tax. So, um, uh, not a success story for 2021, if you ask me. That it was a lot of stress for really not a lot of gain. At what point did you realize, hey, we we've got a like not only am I going through one of the most challenging sort of emotional journeys in my life, we have a pretty serious business problem here too. Yeah, um, it was probably in about fall of 21. So it, it took me a few months, two or three months, where I was really just in a fog. I didn't know what to do. It was just again, show up to work and hustle and go home tired. And that's all I could focus on. And it was just the determination of not giving up. And and I will tell you, backing up a little bit here, um, almost every single person that I consulted with and I would reach out to told me to walk away from the disaster. They just said, just walk away and start over. But I knew I couldn't because purchasing the company from my father's estate meant a financial security for my mother. And if I walked away, it would collapse. So I couldn't walk away. Mm. So there was two or three months, I was just in a fog. And um, I, I, I kept meeting with um, my, my BTA team, Dave Stevens, Omar, I've got Barrett, and of course, our uh, coach Paul. And it was about January of, of 2022, uh, Paul, He's sitting there on a video call and I'm, I'm whining and complaining about how the world's crashing down, but I'm not giving up by golly. And, and he goes, you know, we could, we could listen to you keep crying about this every other week, or you could like get a plan in place and actually follow it. <laughs> so what's it going to be? <laughs> and like, all right, point taken. So you know, Dave, thanks, Dave. Um, Dave Stevens, really just a good kick in the pants there. And I just realized we need to really focus on what are we good at? What do we want to do? I mean, I, there's a lot of jobs we could do and make a lot of money at, but maybe not so much fun. So what are we going to do that's going to be fun, that we're good at, that we can provide great value and service to our clients? And let's do that. And um, that would have been around December, January of uh, 2021, early 2022. We just decided we, we just needed to focus on what we're good at and what we're going to have fun with doing. And that's what we're doing now. That's the best part about it. So um yeah, that that was the defining moment there in January last year. When you're thinking of like your worst, that that fog that you mentioned, like I was in a fog. So there, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a six month period, a three month period, longer, whatever. Like, where were you at mentally, emotionally, spiritually through all of that? And I'm not trying to twist the knife here. I just, I, I'm just genuinely curious, and I think our listeners would be too about where your your soul is at in those in those kind of dark seasons and 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 then two part question mm-hmm. what can you say about grieving but also just standing in the fire and being who you need to be leader wise for the business to get through it it was a pretty dark place um i was pouring myself into work and not my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working probably a good 80 some hours a week in the office and I'd come home, uh, usually not always have dinner with my wife and kids, put the kids to bed and I was back to work. And I'd, 
sitting right here at my desk till two, three, four in the morning. I'd be back up at six, head to the office and just hustle. And I, I probably was not that pleasant of a person to be around. Um, it, it was pretty dark. Was that a coping uh, mechanism? Do you do you think it was almost like there was you you did that subconsciously? Like, hey, at least <laughs> I don't want to think about this too much. This really sucks. Let me just pour myself into the vehicle that is work. <laughs> I think it, I think it might have been a combination of coping mechanism, but also maybe a sign of desperation, trying to just figure it out on my own. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until my I, I had my wife and a couple of friends just tell me like, "And you need to give some of this up to God. Like you're not in control of this. Like let let God take some of this burden. Yeah. And reach out to Him. And I just realized, you, you know, you're right. The, the the failure is not always final. And 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 it's just there's a lot of opportunity here. Like, just kind of take a chill moment. Mm-hmm. Like, let's look at what we're good at. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on what's important. And um, one of the last things my father had told me before he passed away was um, he he had a very uh, near tragic accident, an airplane crash, where he had five minutes before he actually crashed. He knew he, he thought he was going to die, and he told me about this, and he even wrote a book about it. And he said the only thing going through his head, he had two things. One was get the plane on the ground because he had two passengers with him. He's like, I knew I was going to die, but I needed to get them on the ground to their family. Mm-hmm. They, they all, spoiler alert, they all survived by the grace of God. But um, he said that was the one number one focus. The number two, he wasn't thinking about work. He wasn't thinking about jobs. He wasn't thinking about a change order that was getting rejected. He was thinking about should he have spent a little bit more time with his family? Should he have been at dinner last night rather than out on a job site? And and that really resonated with me a lot where I realized uh, my family is so much more important than this business. Um, and uh, tagging onto that, my employees, their families are more important to them uh, than this business. So uh, the business became what supports the family rather than me supporting the business. And there was a very defining moment there where my my time involved went from 70, 80, 90 hours a week to about 50. And I just had to force myself to be more efficient. And uh, so going back to this was a very dark place. I didn't really know how to get out of it. Um, the thing that really pulled me out of this was uh, you know, the grace of God taking control of my life. And also having a really great support network. I had great business mentors with BTA and I had some very close family friends who were willing to tell me if I was not spending time with my wife and my children. And they they had no problem calling me up and telling me, shut your computer down and go home. Mm-hmm. It's, it's time to go to dinner, seven o'clock at night, go home. Mm-hmm. So um, having that support network uh, really pulled me out of the out of that fog. Can you say more about why the support network is so is so valuable? Is it the is it the loneliness that it cures? Is it the practical advice, the sounding board, the mix of everything? Some stuff I didn't mention. Like what? I mean, everyone kind of says this community is really important, especially when the going gets tough. But what what was it really about for you? You know, when you you think about a teenager that is just madly in love with their first boyfriend or girlfriend, and everyone says love is blind. Um, unfortunately, grief is also blind. Um, I don't feel like I could really take in the full gravity of the situation. So yes, it was a coping mechanism that I was working. Yes, it was a sign of desperation, but, um, really in that, in that about six month window there, uh, during that grief, I just, 
I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even know I was in it. Yeah. And it wasn't until last fall, uh, you know, six months after the fact, I'm, I'm thinking, my goodness, I was in a fog in that time frame there. And and it was I'd probably still be in it if I didn't have some very good friends so that surrounded our family that would tell me, hey, time to go home, time mm-hmm. to be with your family. This is what's more important. The, the business will be there on Monday. You can go home on a Friday night. You um you mentioned the story about your you died in the plane, and I know that's something you've inherited. You're quite an avid flyer. Yep. Um what role did that hobby in particular, that pastime, that interest play um, in this chapter? And, and I guess, and I guess still on a, on a continued basis, what I, do you, do you treat the, that time up in the air? Tell us what you love about it, first of all. And then I guess what I'm curious about, is it, is that kind of like a release valve for you? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you, you should have saved aviation for the end. Cause I could talk about it all day long. <laughs> it's, it's my, uh, it's my addiction. Um, I love aviation. I love everything about it. Uh, science, math, technology, history. It's just, it's all there. It's amazing. I just love getting off the ground um, and away from the static and just noise and chaos in life. Um, one thing that's one of my most fun things to do, if, if I by myself at least, is I'll go hop in the airplane um, after maybe a moderately stressful day. And I just need to think I'll go up in the airplane and just circle the city uh, at about 10,000 feet. My cell phone doesn't work. I'm not getting signal. Um, I, I just I get to circle the city and just listen to podcasts or listen to um, uh, audio book and just sit there and think for a while. And two or three hours up there, I'm good. I'm recharged. I'm back. And um, I've learned how to do that uh, from uh, uh, you and I had talked about this before, the, the Band of Brothers movie series. Uh, wonderful series and lots of great little leadership tidbits. Well, they talk about a part there where the 501st Infantry or the Airborne Unit, they're stuck, trenched in at the Ardennes Forest and just getting shelled by the Germans. And just they had no hope. I mean, we talk about a darkness and a, a where our soul is and grieving. I mean, these guys are losing their friends every day. But what they talked about was bringing them back off of the front line for 100 yards for just a matter of a couple hours. Give them some coffee, give them a meal, and then they're recharged and they're back in the fight for another week or two. And I realized aviation was that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm, I shouldn't compare my situation to the, the infantry getting shelled there in World War II, but the concept remains the same where just getting away from the static and chaos to where I have a moment, my, my Zen, my moment of clarity at 10,000 feet to circling the city. Uh, it's amazing. And it's actually blossomed into something even far greater. We now have a corporate aircraft where I can fly to pretty much anywhere in the country within a matter of a few hours. I, I get to fly myself. I have fun with it. I get to reach out, see our employees, see the project, set foot on site. Um, if we had a problem on a job in central Texas tomorrow, I could leave at six in the morning. I'll be on site, see everyone help fix the problems. And I'm back in the office before <laughs> five o'clock. That's like, so cool. It's that just, so it's awesome. Cool. So, um, well, we should mention yeah, for the listeners too, that's actually, that's actually incredibly, I mean, you guys are one of the biggest EV charger, uh, station like installers in the U S now. So you've got, we are. you've got sites in every state, 
most of the states, uh, they're, they're, it's geographically very diffuse. You got to get places and see things yep. all over the U.S. to manage the business that you run. So there's actually a really practical component to this flying yeah. thing too. Yeah, I, and I wish the airplane was an electric plane. I, I it, it'd be a lot of fun to cruise around the country and that way. But the technology hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. But uh, no, it's um, if I need to go from Kansas City here out to Denver or Austin, Texas or Atlanta or Washington D.C., it's a matter of you know four to six hours as opposed to TSA and all the airlines and uh, overnight stay. So mm. uh, my time is so much more efficient where I can get out reach the project, get back to the office and get back to work and, and hustling. And in the process, I'm up high, my cell phone's not working. So I'm in a moment of just think through what am I going to do? How am I planning out my week? Uh, and I've got this awesome machine in front of me that I'm flying and I, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's the thrill of my life. So I, 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 you know, and I think I, I've, I've reflected on this a lot and I, and I have to say, like, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, this is sort of a cliched bit where everyone says, oh, it's so important to have your interests and go get exercise and go be in nature because it makes you feel it better. Be blah, more blah, true. Blah. It's true that I, but it's true. And I've thought about why that is. And I'll just bounce this off you. Like it's for me, I really like uh, I really like mountain biking. I really like riding my motorcycle, and I really like sailing. And then in the winter, that's snowboarding. So there's kind of three or four things there. And the thing that all of those uh, activities have in common is they require a level of like conscious focus. Flying is yeah. even on a higher plane. So it's like you. So you say you're thinking, but I almost think that you're you're so focused on the task at hand because you will literally die if you're not. That you it allows your conscious mind. <laughs> to focus on some this rote process that you know well yeah. and you follow SOPs and then it's your subconscious mind that's kind of worrying away. So I always find when I get off the bike or I get off the boat or whatever and I hop back on land, it's like I've not actually spent, I've not done that much problem solving in my conscious brain, but all of a sudden I sort of have answers to things or or I have I have solutions to things that I just didn't, mm-hmm. you know, two hours before. It's like, a, so I, yeah, it's, it's like a, it's giving you access to your subconscious because your your mm-hmm. conscious mind is so busy in the activity. Yeah, it's it's also um, there, there's a, a problem solving tactic I've used in the past where you essentially kind of just have to wipe your memory of what's going on. You've got this big problem at hand, but you've got solution A and solution B, and now solution B has ramifications for another project, and things are turning around, and we've got superintendents going in one direction, but they're their construction crew somewhere else. And so by just by just shutting all that off for a few minutes, once you turn it back on. So for me, hop in the airplane, go travel out to the site. By the time I get on the ground, I'm like, all right, let's look back at the root problem. What's going on here? And you can really just focus on problem solving mm-hmm. and and not not just putting out fires all over the place. But let's actually just Let's solve the root problem here. What's going on? Yeah. Do we have a staffing problem or do we have an internal issue? Is it a system? Do I need to just go take a client out to lunch? So yeah. I, I love flying. Uh, yeah, you brought that up. That that was uh, at your own risk there. But <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll do, for we'll some people, podcast. it's golfing. For others, it's mountain biking. Whatever it is, I could not stress enough how important it is to get away from the front lines, whether it's a matter of hours or go take a vacation with your spouse. Just get out of it for a few days. And then when you come back, you just recharge and just go to war again. Like just go get after it, kill it. I'm curious about the business moves that were made. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the the loss, 
the the emotions that kind of followed and where you were at, how you kind of mentally and, and, and spiritually dealt with that. Now I'd like to know the levers you pulled and the knobs you turned within the Osborne company to fix mm-hmm. the issue. What, what, what did you, what were the plays that happened that got you out of it? Sure. Um, the very first thing, uh, as we talked about a little bit earlier is focusing on what are we good at? And there were a few things we're good at that you just don't make any money at. So we unfortunately had to cut that out of the mix for a bit, but we focused on, we're, we're a good commercial builder renovation, uh, new construction. We're good at it. We have a facility maintenance division and we're good at it. It's good margins. And we're a, a excellent EV charging station installer. We have some of the best people in the country managing these projects and we build so many of them. I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you how many right now, but, um, that are under construction, but we have roughly 1000 charging stations that we've installed just in the last five years. Wow. And, uh, uh, so, uh, that's what we're good at. We decided we're going to, it's the same collection of people, but we're going to focus it like it's three different divisions. So we have very specific people in each of these divisions, um, all within the same office here. And so we're going to work together, but I have a maintenance guy that that's all he does. And I have charging station people. That's all they do. And I have a commercial guy and that's all he does. I'm curious about uh, the stuff that you, that you, uh, that you scrapped. What, what were the few things you kind of s- snipped off the, uh, the, the, the offer? Like what, what, what's in the graveyard of abandoned business ventures for you guys? Sure. Or maybe put yeah. on hold, abandoned is the wrong word, but just on pause. I would say more pause is a better way of yeah. putting it. And really that was anything residential. Um, it's its own market and, um, it it was profitable for us at times, but it just wasn't anything I really had interest in. And uh, that was something my father was really passionate about. He loved building really fancy homes and multifamily projects, but I could never really get into it. And so um, the last residential project we built, it was a beautiful 12,000 square foot house. And we ended up losing about $250,000 on the job. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't have my heart into it to really manage it well. And by the time I caught the problems, it was too late and it was all over and just a total disaster. Yeah. So we just decided, all right, no more residential for a while. We're just not going to worry about it. Let's just focus on what we're good at. And so we walked away from a lot of people who'd call us like, hey, we want you to build this beautiful big home. And we're just sorry, we don't we don't do residential right now. Yeah, um, Maybe in the future. Uh, there, there's plenty of money to be made there, but uh, not for us right now. That uh, divergent focus, divergent focus is just such a killer. And uh, we often overestimate how much bandwidth we actually have and how versatile our thinking can be and how multidisciplinary we are. I mean, I think that there's, 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 uh, we all have a little bit of it and super sophisticated business owners ha- have seemingly a lot of it, but it seems, you know, there's just this great quote. And I, we, I say this all the time at BTA with, with our team here, like most businesses die of, of indigestion, not starvation. (laughs) And, uh, it's been said before on the podcast too, but it's like, there's just, there's real truth and wisdom in what, in what you're saying, where it's, it's, it's about what you say no to, not what you say yes to. And, and, um, I suspect things became when you made, when you did those cuts, did things become just overnight a lot easier for you guys? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things along with it, like we had to first define what we're going to do. And then we had to realize like, what do we actually have to do to 
stick to our guns on this. And the yeah. first one was we stopped bidding on public jobs uh, all over the place uh, with 15 or 20 different bidders. Um, today was our first day, actually, that we bid on a public job in uh, almost, uh, uh, I think, just over two years. And we won it. It was great. Congrats. We don't want to make a habit out of it right now because yeah. we have other work. We're good. at <laughs> But what, what we identified is there's there's three common killers of construction companies and one is cash flow. So we had to get our cash situation in, in check and our finance control. Another one was geographic area working outside of your geographic zone. Uh, now, we're a national contractor, but we don't really go too far west of the Colorado Rockies. Um, it, it has to be a special case, but we have to be very diligent about not going into Utah unless it's something really special for us. Um, and the third thing was going outside our skill set. So uh, after my father had passed away, I lost the skill set of within our company of the multifamily. And I I just chose not to replace that skill set in the company. So uh, sticking to you know, maintaining your cash flow and having a good cash flow coming in, staying up on your billings. That was number one. Um, sticking to our geography and sticking to our skill set. Uh, we, we just determined those were the three things that if we violated them, it was going to kill the company really fast. Any um, you mentioned earlier, like just no no systems, no accountability. It was it sort of was a bit willy nilly. Everyone had their own way of doing things. Were, Very were there, reactionary. Yeah, were there controls yeah. you put in place? Daily check ins, meeting structures, reporting structures that just ga- gave you a little bit more visibility into what was happening, but more importantly, a little bit tighter of a grip over what was happening. Yeah. Um, so we did a couple of things. We we uh, started out. We switched to the. Uh, we moved the company into using Builder Trend for a short time, um, so we had a lot better finance control on our invoicing, our subcontractor purchase orders, daily logs. We actually outgrew the system pretty quickly, and a lot of that was the integrations with our accounting software. So we have since integrated over to Procore, and right here from my phone, anytime, day or night. If I'm fighting insomnia, I can sit and read uh, daily logs on any of our projects. We have about 150 active projects across the country, um, and I, I I can see where they're at. I can see the daily logs. If somebody missed one, I know about it, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to talk about it the next morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there was no there there was no common operating platform or common operating picture for our superintendents or for our project managers. So making that available to them was the first step, but then I had to get them to use it. Mm. Um, that that was definitely more challenging, getting them to use the systems, but uh, staying on them every single day for daily logs. And there's a reason it's called a daily log because you fill it out every day. And if you don't, we've got a very serious problem. How long did and, you have to hound them? A month, six months? Oh my gosh. It's work in progress. <laughs> we're, we're better about it. Uh, every once in a while, we might miss one, but I would say it was probably three or four months of yeah. just every single day being the text bad guy. An email call. Where's yeah. your daily log? Oh, I drove people nuts. And yeah. you know, taking the words of Tim Groover from his book uh, Relentless, come up to my standard. I'm not coming down to yours. Yeah. So we set the standard. If it's a daily log. By golly, you better get your daily log in. And if you don't, it, it is this isn't going to work out. Like I need people who can get their daily logs in. And um, so that was one. Of, that was the progression and the step and the the, the pig headed discipline of the sales machine. It it can apply to project managers management as well. How how would you uh, score the 
health report card on the Osborne company today compared to that nasty chapter in 21? Where are you guys at in terms of growth, size, um, efficiencies, profits? Like, like just, I'd love to hear kind of the before after photo uh, of your business. Yeah, uh, 2021, um, you know, we had about a $10, $10 million uh, gross revenue year with about 1.7 uh, net profit. Um, 2022 shook out about 15 million, uh, with closer to about a 15% net profit. So night and day difference. Mm -hmm. And 2023, um, we'll see how the next, uh, how the next month or so goes here. We're ramping up a lot of projects, but, uh, we're looking at having about a 15 to $20 million year at about a, uh, 15% net profit again. So, um, Definitely life changing because there's actually the ability now to where we can compensate our employees a little bit better. We provide a little bit better benefits. Um, I don't feel as guilty about taking out a few thousand dollars uh, to you know take my family to the beach for a couple of days. Um, that never happened before, uh, so we can uh, have a little bit nicer of a Christmas party. So definitely life changing. Um, our employees are driving newer vehicles. They're 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 proud of them not driving old beaters um so that huge huge culture change as far as the work that's coming up there's a um there's a mindset of quality integrity and dependability which is our company core values quality in all our work um exceptional quality uh dependability uh client wants something done get it done Mm -hmm. like don't leave it till next week. If they ask for it to be done today, then get it done today. We serve our clients. They pay the bills. They put the food on the table for us. So let's do a good job for them. Let's Mm -hmm. provide good value. And the integrity piece, um, that's a, that's a real quick deal breaker with this company. Um, whether you're an employee or a subcontractor, if you can have your integrity questioned, but, and and you can have people accuse you of things, but you don't lose your integrity until you give it away. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be the one to give it away. And so if somebody loses their integrity by lying, cheating or stealing, they're just done. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't tolerate that. Mm-hmm. And so by bringing everybody up to that high standard, um, we have, in my opinion, now I, I wasn't alive in 1976 when the company was formed, but um, in my opinion, we have the best team now this company has ever seen in the last 47 years. And it's just, it's, it's actually a lot of fun going to work now. There's been days it's not fun, but we actually enjoy showing up to work, get out there and crush it every day. There's a lot to be proud of, man. I mean, 10 million and just barely skating by to 15 to 20 million and 15% net, extremely healthy. And it's not, a, you, you don't run a simple business. It's quite a complicated one. So um, major, major congratulations to you. Have you, ref- have you reflected, uh, Stephen, on how this chapter, as awful and dark and sad as it was, have you reflected on how it's made you better as a business person, a dad, a husband, a sibling, a community member? Is there, is there, are there gifts that came with this journey? <laughs> yeah. You know, someone told me a long time ago, uh, don't ask God for patience because he'll give you a reason to really need to earn some patience <laughs> and, uh, you know, put something in your life. And um, I, I think a lot of what, what I've learned in the last year is uh, patiently wait for the right timing 
but you got to be willing and ready to strike. Like when there's a job opportunity in front of you and you know it's the right one and, and it might be a gutsy deal, but you know you're going to do well, just do it. Like go after it. Be be a, concerned with failure, but just like go after it. Go get it. Um, it's It's been very humbling the last couple of years, the community and the support that came around some, uh, somewhat to our rescue. Uh, we had a, a few different clients out there. Um, you know, the, the day my dad passed away, uh, one of my preferred clients found out and very quickly had some flowers sent over to our office. And, um, you know, they, they just, they knew we were going to go through a tough time and they helped us out. And when we were struggling on our projects, they were very gracious about it. So, um, learning that moment of, um, I guess, gratefulness for others and gratefulness for uh, what God has done has been a really, really big part. And so, you know, it's just the same way when, whenever I greet somebody now and they ask, how you doing? I, <laughs> I always have to respond. I'm, I'm doing better than I deserve because it's just, um, there's a lot of wonder, wonderful people out there willing to help. You just have mm -hmm. to have the humility to actually ask them for help. And that's, that first six months of fog is where I wasn't really asking for help. I was trying to do it on my own until I, I finally asked my friends. I asked my uh, BTA group, mm. my wife. I was like, I need help. Like, I, I don't Work's falling apart. We need to figure this out. And so we had a tactical pause. And that's where we went through this progression of what are we good at? What are we going to do? How yeah. are we going to raise the bar? How are we going to hold our people accountable? Mm -hmm. And um What's next for you guys? Is there a BHAG? Is there a vision? Like what, what are you really excited about for the Osborne company over the next five years or so? Two things. One, one of them, we're, we're completely overhauling our uh, project management systems and processes right now. Um, we've, we've got all of our team really deeply engaged in it. We're getting really granular with how we manage our projects. Um, and, and everyone's excited to just provide excellence. Uh, at, and our workload is reducing because of it. But five years from now, um, what we've started doing here in the last, I don't know, about 12 months or so, we started acquiring properties that we're going to use for development or passive revenue. And ultimately, the goal in about five to 10 years is to have a real estate portfolio that is generating revenue that will create new projects. So we won't be as reliant on external clients anymore. We'll be using our own passive revenue streams to create our own developments and essentially work for ourselves. So I pitched this idea to everyone here not too long ago, maybe within the last month. And they were so excited because like, Hey guys, we can, we can work really hard. Now we're going to generate the cash and the revenue to buy these properties and develop. And then in five years, we're just working for ourselves. We'll go pick a project and we'll just go build it. And so they're, they're really, really excited, really focused right now. Um, and uh, so those are the two big things we're working on are further developing our systems, but ultimately becoming our own client. Very excited about it. Unbelievable. I am too. Um, let's, let's close on this, Stephen. Uh, maybe someone's listening right now and they're in their little world uh, and they're going through absolute hell right now um, in their life. What, what advice do you have for someone who's going through a chapter like the one that you just went through? Yeah, it, I, I know there are people out there right now and I'm uh, going through probably very similar situations and, and likely worse even. Um, it is really dark. It is very depressing, but um, there is tomorrow. 
we, we've still got tomorrow. There is hope and there are people that care about you, even when you feel like nobody cares or you're on an island by yourself. Um, so many people care about uh, your situation. So reaching out to others and just simply saying, hey, can I grab lunch? Let's just can I tell you about my life and get your perspective on this? Um, I, I had this with the my BTA group. I just be able to open up and just total honesty. I'm like, hey, guys, here's what's going on. I don't know what to do. What do you think? And every once in a while, they'd, they'd tell me like, well, like deal with it. Like you need to you need to hire an estimator. Go take care of this. Or you need to you need to have a chat with your receptionist over this issue or like like fix it. And they'd show me how and having the humility to actually sit there and listen to them and take that advice. But um, I think probably the first piece was really just opening up with the fact that I was getting overwhelmed and I needed some help was um, that was the hardest hurdle to get over. And it was just amazing how many people came out of the woodwork in, mm-hmm. in such a loving and caring way, wanting to help us. And there's even clients out there. If they know you're going through a tough time, they, Hey, come, come build this deck on my house or, or come remodel my office. I want to help you out. And I like working with you. I don't really care if you're the cheapest bid. I just, I know you guys will do a good job and yeah. there's people that want to help. So, uh, you just got to ask, yeah. you just, just open up. Yeah. P- people love you. Yep. Stephen, you said it all, my friend. I uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on and 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 sharing your story with us. Somebody out there is going to listen to this and it's going to hit them, uh, you know, right between the eyes and be exactly what they needed to hear. So uh, I'm really honored and humble that you came on today and, and just talked us through it. And um, you should be really proud of yourself and your whole team from 10 million and barely getting by to nearly 20 with a very healthy net. There's uh there's a lot of good stuff that you've put together here over the last couple of years. So thank you. Well, thanks, Benji. We have a wonderful team. I am very proud of them. I'm very thankful to the BTA team and it's been an honor being on here with you. Thanks. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.